When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us. We've had a great couple weeks of basketball, and I'm looking forward to the conference finals, and I actually wanted to focus on the Eastern Conference Finals for Real GM Radio this week, and so I have on two people who know it from kind of both sides. So we have Amin Vafa, who writes for the Hardwood Proxies and Basketball Network. He is a Cleveland native who also lives in D.C., so he was in touch with the Hawks Wizard series that just completed. And the other guest is Robbie Calland, who's never been on the podcast before, but I'm a big fan of his. And he writes for Fan Buzz, and he does some work for Hardwood Paroxysm, a very talented writer and tweeter. And so I think that the combination of the two of them was a lot of fun, and we talked for about 56 minutes. We go on a couple tangents. The one thing that I would like to note is that in the early part, um, Amin had some technical issues, so there's a little bit of noise on his end for the first, like, 10 minutes. And then he's gone for a little bit, and then he comes back, but then the quality is clean. So I hope you persevere if you if you have any issues with the early part. It, it does get better than that, and I think the insight is worth it no matter what. So I hope you enjoy it. As I said, it's about 56 minutes. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I Absolutely. Think, I think the best place to start, and I guess we could start with Robbie because it's more fun that way, is who do you think, other than LeBron <laughs> James, is the most important player in this series? Uh, it's Kyrie, just from a health perspective. If he was healthy and we knew what we were getting, you could you could possibly make a more interesting answer out of that and say JR hitting shots or Tristan Thompson being a monster on the glass. But it's, it's 100% Kyrie and whether he can be healthy, I think. I'm not particularly worried about him in game one because he'll have had six days to rest and get treatment, but when you go every other day and you have lingering foot and knee issues, that can be tough, especially with the travel back and forth. So it's it's got to be Kyrie as, as the second most important guy for the Cavs because if he's not able to... like We know he's not exactly a defensive presence, but he's got to be able to at least try and stay in front of Jeff Teague and then offensively, they need him to be that second guy that can give them 20 to 30 points when they need it. What do you think about him compared to any of the Hawks? Do you think, do you, if you factored everybody in, where would you put him? He's like the third or fourth most important player in this series for sure. I mean, I think Korver learning to shoot again might be a little more important because the Hawks don't win if Kyle's not shooting over 35, 40%. Like, they just don't. I think Wizards I think, I think fans Al- would disagree Al- about that statement about Kyle Korver. Wizard, well, the Wizards like aren't the Cavs. in his last series. He, they, he, shot 20, he shot 28%, but they shouldn't have won that series. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, like, um, the Wizards are not the Cavs, <laughs> is what I'll say. Here's the thing that I've true. said 
here's the thing that I've said throughout is the Hawks are going to have to shoot exceptionally well, which they can do, but they have to shoot exceptionally well for five games to win this series. Because there's one game where LeBron James is just going to win a game. It doesn't matter. You can shoot 60% from three, and LeBron's going to have 38 and just win it. Him and, him and Kyrie are just going to win a game because they're, they're that good. But you're going to have to shoot really well for four, at least four, four or five games and hope that maybe the LeBron death game happens when you're, you know, you're shooting poorly. Like, that's, that's just how it goes against LeBron. That's why LeBron hasn't lost much in the playoffs because it's hard <laughs> to do that. It's so hard to do that because he can just win a game that you have no business winning. That's the terrifying thing about playing that guy. You can do everything you're supposed to do on the offensive end, and you can play him hard on defense, and he can still do it. It's terrifying. Robbie, how do you think they're going to defend LeBron? Do you think um, it's going to be primarily Damari Carroll, or do you think it's going to bounce yeah. around a little bit? Well, it, if, if, if Thabo were healthy, shout out to the NYPD, <laughs> they, could, they could, you know, <laughs> give Damari some rest. Uh, but I, you have to play Damari like 38 minutes and just try to match as many minutes as possible. They'll put Millsap when they when they go. Honestly, the best thing for the Hawks is going to be when the Cavs go small, because then you can guard him with Millsap. And I actually think Paul's actually a little bit of a better matchup on LeBron. Like I think for so many teams, LeBron at the four is a mismatch. But I think actually for the Hawks, Paul Millsap matches up with him pretty decently well, just from a size and athleticism perspective. Like he can move with him on the defensive end. So when the Cavs go small, I think that's when you give Damari some rest and you throw the two point guards out at the same time and Corver, and then you let Paul defend uh, LeBron and give them. That's when you get Damari his breaks. I think. My biggest concern is is with Bud's rotations that he just he's pretty stubborn and he just does what he does and I think against the Cavs especially with LeBron you, you want to if you're going to rest Damari you have to rest him when LeBron's playing you have to rest him in those situations when you can put Millsap on him cuz Bazemore can't do anything with him he's just not big enough I mean are you worried at all about David Blatt's I think, rotations I think I didn't go So I'm actually pretty impressed by how fluid last rotations are based on like what I've seen. Like he doesn't have the stubbornness that I'm used to and watching other coaches. There have been the rotations are big and part of that is, you know, because love's not in there and they have injuries cropping up everywhere. But he like pays attention to like size and speed matchups and is able to make adjustments. And I mean he doesn't always make the best adjustments, but at least he's pulling guys in different situations. Like James Jones wound up being really big in, in the last series and no one was really expecting James Jones to see a lot of burn in the last series. So I think that was pretty like impressive on Blast part. For all the for all the knocks that most people give him, which are well earned, I think that's something that is good about him. Um, I think you know LeBron is obviously going to be a huge factor in the series, and I think Kyrie is going to be a huge factor in the series as well. But the problem, the biggest problem with the Cavs is they're like, I mean, their defense obviously has issues, but if they don't come out punching at the beginning of every game and don't get up like a 20-point lead really fast, then they're pretty much incapable of getting stops on the stretch. And that is something that the Hawks are much better at. And if the Hawks can keep them within like striking distance, then it's pretty dangerous for the Cavs because it's hard for them to deal with that. Part of that is because 
I mean, the Cavs are a newer. I mean, they're a newer team. Whatever we can, I can pile up a bunch of excuses. But LeBron is using his, his usage rate is sky high right now, and he has a lot of turnovers. He got better towards the end of last series with his turnovers, but still, he'd like the ball gets turned over a lot, and, and there are issues with only run the offense through LeBron. And like, even though the Hawks aren't as great at guarding isolations as most teams in the league, it's still a pretty unreliable offensive strategy, even if it is LeBron James. So there are things to worry about in the Cavs. And, and I think part, you know, another thing being they're not as good of a defensive team as the Wizards were. So I think if the Hawks can actually get a good shooting game, they can probably get a couple good shooting games in. But yeah, Tabo not being in and not being a, not having their best on off guy on, on the roster right now, it definitely helps the Cavs out a lot. In, in those moments of the series when the Cavs are playing, let's say, James Jones as the other forward, so let's say it's James Jones and LeBron, mm-hmm. how do you think that these mm-hmm. teams handle that defensively? Because will they, will they treat LeBron as the four, or will they treat James Jones as the four? I think it, it's... I think usually when they're spreading the floor, they're using Jones to spread the floor, and they're playing... Like, LeBron plays more like the four when Jones is on the floor, I think. And I think the Hawks will probably just play their bigger guy on Like Robbie said, like they'll probably put Carroll on him just because he's, you know, or Millsap on him just because he's, they're bigger and they can actually like withstand some of his body mass <laughs> and strength yeah. more than I, anybody else. I think you can pretty much, I think you can put anybody on James Jones, put a hand in his face and as long as he's defended, it'll take him out of commission for the most part, but you don't need to like put your best defender on James Jones. You just need to put a man on him to keep him up, keep passing lanes closed off of him. Yeah, I think that's the lineup where, you know, even if they have, you know, let's say they've got those two in with Mozgov or whoever, um, I think that's the lineup where you can take Damari off the floor if you need to and, and put Millsap on James and, you know, run Corver on James Jones, which will be give Corver a little bit of a break on the defensive end which is something yeah. that I, I don't think he got in the Wizard series when he had, you know, especially mm-hmm. early in that Wizard series, he was chasing Beal all over the place. And then the Hawks made an adjustment and put Teague and Schroeder on Beal, but then Kyle was, you know, having to deal with Paul Pierce, who's a little bigger. And, and, and I think um, there's going to be oppor- more opportunities for Kyle to get a little more rest on the defensive end against the Cavs because the offense is a little more stagnant from a movement perspective of those wing guys. You know, I mean, you can you can hide him on Shump. You can, you know, he's a good defender, but, like, I think we saw last series that when he has to put a ton of effort in defensively, which he did, and he was fantastic, it clearly has an effect mm-hmm. on him offensively. And, and I think that's where, I think that's where you try. And in and, and this series, I think you just kind of go, you know what? Let's let's try to get Kyle some shots. So let's try to let's try to put him in a spot where he can kind of take a break on defense. Yeah, I think that was definitely a story in the Western series as well because JJ Redick had a very similar thing. He had a tough defensive assignment on James Harden, and it's just less of his shots were falling. And it especially it's, it, towards the end, especially yeah. towards the end. And I I think that there is a, a duality there, and it's something that people have said for years, you know, make a make a strong offensive player work on defense, but I think people usually focus on the stars, but it might actually be true as much, if not more, for ancillary players. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where, especially for guys like Redick and Korver, 
where so much of them getting open is them having fresh legs and being able to run guys down, if they're the ones that are worn down, then that kind of neutralizes that advantage and them running off of off-ball screens and curls and, um, you know, all those things that get them open. If they're more tired and have to put that effort in on the defensive side of the ball, then, then they kind of lose a bit of that advantage, and then you start seeing them force stuff. And I think it's one of those things where we think of, especially like Corver, like I just always think of him kind of a shooting machine. Like he gets open, I'm like, it's in, you know? And last series he shot, this was an amazing stat. On open looks, this is from the NBA stats player tracking. On open looks, which means the defender's between four and six feet away, he shot 7.7% on three-point attempts. On wide, <laughs> Which is just insane. On wide open looks, he shot 25%, which is six feet or out from the closest defender. And those were 45% of his looks or something like that. That's nuts. And so if he can work a little less and not be pressing on those open looks, because it's clearly a lot of that is he was like, I need to make this. This is my, I get three, I'm only getting three open looks a game. I need to make this. So he's really pushing on them and they just weren't going in. And you kind of forget that he's just a, he's a person out there and the mental stuff can get to him. But like, that's just insane that he shot that poorly on open looks. I mean, are you saying fatigue is mental? Is that how you're classifying that? Because I think a lot of that's just fatigue, right? I think it's I think it's mentally he was getting so frustrated that mm. he just couldn't. Because like, if you know, you go back, it didn't look like he was anything was really different from a form perspective. Like, it looked like maybe he was rushing it a little bit because he was like, oh, I'm open, and that's a mental thing. It wasn't like he was using all arms. He was still getting the same lift off of his legs. I think it was he's running around. He's working so hard that he was just like he, he would get an open look and kind of it was almost like he panicked because he knew the defense was soon going to be there. And he was like, I better get this off. Is maybe part of the benefit for Kyrie that he just doesn't do that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, Kyrie just—he knows who he is. <laughs> he's not—he's not out there digging crazy hard on defense. But also, Kyrie's a different kind of player. Kyrie's going to create his own looks, and this is this is where it gets into like you know, Kyle's not Kyle's creating his own looks in the sense that he's running off of screens, but like he's completely dependent on the Hawks getting him on the Hawks guards or whoever has the ball getting him the ball on time when he gets open. And when those looks, you know, when they miss him, in the, when they would miss him on open looks in the regular season, it was like, okay, he'll get one back. But when they missed, when they were missing, there were a couple times they missed him in the corner against the Wizards, and it was like, well, you, you're not getting that one back, is yeah. what it felt like. It was like there were a couple times where it was like in transition they could have hit Kyle in the corner, and instead Teague would – circle under the basket and bring it back out. And it's like, well, that was a three-point look we're not getting back because the Wizards were so locked in. And I'm interested to see if the Cavs maybe are kind of lulled to sleep a little bit with how poorly Kyle shot and are like, well, maybe we can take a few more risks on helping off of him. I'm hoping that happens. I don't think it will because I, I, you know, I doubt that they look at six games and go, well, maybe that's what he is now as opposed to the – 90 games that they played before where he was the best shooter in the league. 
and it's like I'm I'm hoping maybe they maybe they take a few more chances with leaving Kyle open, but I, I can't see. I think you I think you do. J.R. Smith did a really good job on Kyle in the regular season. I don't think people remember that. He was amazing on Kyle Culver, just like face guarding him all over the court. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's interesting with like saying like you hope the Cavs assume this is the new Corver. I'm like a little bit afraid of that, and I'm also afraid that like pretty much everyone I've seen has the Cavs winning this series, and I'm like a little bit afraid that that overconfidence from everyone, based on like the existence of LeBron only, is going to make the Cavs overconfident, and the Cavs are not going to take the Hawks as seriously as they should. Hawks the like. They were crazy good this season. They lost Sabo, and I think that's really important in how well they're going to do through the playoffs. But I, I'm really afraid of people sleeping on them. And it's terrifying me, basically. Keeping me up at night. Sure. My, my hope always yeah. when something like that happens is remembering that these guys are professional athletes and that, you know, that they have to win this series anyway. But it does happen. I mean, there, there was that moment uh, in the Clippers, in the Clippers-Rockets series, where in Game 5, Doc talked about it, where he kind of thought the team went, oh, we're going to win the next game, and they just kind of let that one go. And, you know, obviously now we know what happened. So it is true that it can, but I think it's true that it's more at the end of a game than at the beginning. You know, I think that they'll they'll fight like heck, but then if they, you know, it, it, they might seal off a game or something like that. Uh, but we'll move on. Uh, we talked a little bit about the coaching matchups. I think one of the dynamics in this series is going to be how much Budenholzer sticks with the starting five as a collective unit. Are, are you expecting to see more of what we saw in the Wizards series where they kind of kept at least two of them on the floor at all times? Yeah, I, for me, two isn't enough. <laughs> I think they need three on the floor as often as possible. I hope that Bud keeps the rotation tight. I'm, I'm actually really intrigued to see how he handles it because with with the Wizards' size, particularly with Gortat and Nene, they, they went a lot to Mascala instead of Mike Scott. Mike Scott caught the DNP coach's decision for the last, I think, three games. And so I'm going to be interested to see if they, they stick with that or because the Cavs, when they go small, you can maybe you could hide Mike Scott on a James Jones if they go with James Jones at the four. And um, I'm going to be interested to see if they try to get Mike Scott out there just to get some more offense on the floor out of the bench, see if he can start shooting better. Uh, Shelvin Mack was super successful against the Cavs a couple times this year. Uh, particularly that one game where I think he went five for five from three and had like 17 or 19 points. We'll see if maybe he tries to tries to dig in the well there. But I, I think this is a situation where, where Bud probably doesn't want to get too cute with the rotations. And I think you'll see them pretty much stick with the similar rotation we saw in, in against Washington. My only question is whether we see a little more Mike Scott, a little, little less Mescal, but Mescal was great. And I really hope that they stick with him for a little while and maybe take some of Perro's minutes down a little bit. But Perro's kind of important because he's he's the only bench big that has any actual physical like size and girth to him mm-hmm. uh, to deal with a guy like Mozgov and deal with a guy like even Tristan, who's just such a monster on the offensive glass. And like even when Perro's not hitting shots, he's the best screen setter on the team, and he's literally the only guy that has size. Yeah. Um, to deal with any kind of physicality and, and muscle down there. So you're, you're going to see playing him. And the rotation I'm looking to see if it changes is if Mike Scott finds his way back in. Yeah, and the other dynamic for me in this series that's that's kind of remarkable in the whole rest of the playoffs is that 
the Hawks starting five this in the playoffs, despite you know them going you know going six games and everything like that, is they're out. The Hawks starting five is outscoring opponents by sixteen points per hundred possessions. So that group together, even with Corver being less than Corver, has still been an incredibly dominant group when they've played together. Yeah, absolutely. It's they're they're just so good, and it's it's the one time that the offense. You know, during the regular season when the bench was on, especially during that 19-game run, they looked like the starters with how they moved the ball and everything. But it, it it's clearly they're tightening up a little bit, that group. Dennis has tightened up some and just kind of gets to the point where he's like, I'm just going to go to the rim, which is it's a better second option than when he decides he's going to pull up from three. But at the same time, the ball's not moving when he does that. He just kind of drives in and throws something up. And so the ball, the only, the only time the offense looks like the, the Hawks offense that we came to love, I think, as basketball fans, anybody who watched it was like, this is fun, I like this, is when those starters are on the floor. And when those, that starting five is on the floor, the ball still moves pretty well, and uh, they can do the thing, the pick and pops, and the, uh, the off-ball movement is still there with the bench. It, it seems to get a little stagnant. They look a little weighed down, and... It just kind of turns into Dennis running at the rim. Yeah, and I mean that balance is tough because you can see why why Budenholzer wouldn't want to have you know a heavy backup unit on the floor. But at the same, there are kind of different ideas in terms of how you want to use your depth. And one of the ideas would be to white knuckle it with more bench units and just so you can keep the starters together more. But I agree with you that there's a huge danger there. Yeah, it's it's. Certainly a problem. The fact that you know LeBron's going to be playing 40 a night, you're only getting so much time with him off the floor that you can really tempt fate with a bench unit. And Kyrie can cook a bench unit too. That's true. So it's one of those things where that's where the Cavs kind of scare me. Is like if if the Hawks do try to get heavy with the bench, with the starters and try to get 30, 32 from the starter, 30 minutes from the starters as a unit, then all of a sudden. There's going to be a few times that you're probably going to end up with. If you do 30 from the starters as a, an entire unit, that means you're probably leaving 10 to t- 10 minutes where you're really heavy on the bench unit, you know, like four bench guys on the floor, which is really scary if they have either LeBron or Kyrie on the floor. I feel strangely comfortable with Schroeder guarding Kyrie, though. I, I, maybe that's a confidence issue or whatever. I just feel like that could work. Here's the thing about Dennis is – Dennis is theoretically a really good defensive point guard. In practice, he is not because <laughs> he has the tools, the physical tools from his length to just, you know, and he's aggressive, but he's too aggressive. Any kind of, you know, anybody that's even borderline crafty as a point guard can get them where he where they want him. You know, if you want him, I mean John Wall did this regularly to Dennis. If John Wall wanted to get a screen and get himself going right, he would just set Dennis up with a couple moves and Dennis would get himself out of the position he should be in because he would get too aggressive looking for the ball. And then all of a sudden John Wall is freaking around you and Dennis runs smack into a Gortat screen. And Kyrie can do that. We know Kyrie is a very crafty point guard. So that's what worries me is like Dennis theoretically has the tools. And I think eventually in two years, he's going to be, one of the best defensive point guards in the league, but he's still young. He's still overly aggressive. He tries to press guys. I mean, Dennis was getting cooked by Jarrett Jack in the first round. Jarrett 
Jack. And, like, that shouldn't happen <laughs> to a very talented 21-year-old point guard. You should not get worked by Jarrett Jack regularly because you get yourself out of position. But he did. And that's what concerns me when Dennis is on the floor. I love the kid. I think he's going to be a star. But right now, that's what concerns me when he goes up against these really solid point guards that have offensive skill sets is he gets overly aggressive and he's overly confident in his defensive abilities. And then he gets himself out of position, which gets everybody else out. And so it's not always he gets beat by the point guard, but sometimes it forces extra help and then it's a pass, another pass, and an open three. I definitely think that's a that's a, a very astute point in terms of how that works. One of the other dynamics in this series is that, generally speaking, while the Hawks are obviously an excellent team, they've had a lot of trouble on the defensive boards. And while Cleveland, in a lot of the regular season, wasn't particularly great there just because they had Kevin Love just floating on the three-point line, now with Tristan Thompson playing so many more minutes, I think that could end up swinging a couple of games in the series just because... It's going to change where people are on the floor. Yeah, it's it's pretty like Tristan Thompson is just really scary on the offensive glass, and he's just he just outworks everybody, and he's got that that kind of Charles Barkley sense of how to position his body to get somebody else out of position. You know, I mean, Barkley was the best at it that I can remember at just kind of using a, a smaller frame that's not a seven foot frame, but just using leverage and kind of a wide butt to get people out and to carve out space. And Thompson does that, and he's got a little more bounce to him, and he gets up for those boards. But he does a really good job of carving out that space. And I'd be really interested to to talk to him, and I, I, I might try this if I get a chance this series, is kind of ask him how much how, how much study he does on knowing where balls come off the rim from certain spots on the floor because he seems to just have a knack for being in the right spot for where the ball comes off the rim. And and I'd be interested to see if he kind of has any thoughts on that or if it's just a natural thing where he just feels it. But he can definitely, he could definitely swing a game or two if they get a couple extra three point makes off of, you know, that's all it takes. These games should be within four or five points each time. Yeah. And so a couple extra three-pointers that you get because Tristan gets a rebound, somebody leaked out, and now J.R. Smith is open on the wing, that can do it. Well, in terms of talking to Cavs or talking to players that aren't LeBron on LeBron teams, from my experience, if it's somebody outside of the top two, you're generally okay. Because <laughs> everybody, yeah, everybody no, I, just clusters. I, it's actually something I, I don't usually talk about You know, being in the locker rooms, but one of the most crazy dynamics I've ever seen is when the Heat were – at Oracle when I was covering the Warriors, Chris Bosh would be generally open for questions. And, yeah. you know, like when Chris Bosh was on the Raptors, he was the guy who had the mob. And so you could have these, you know, three, four-minute conversations with Bosh and with Battier and with these guys who are great interviews yeah. because LeBron and in those days Dwayne Wade got the got so much attention that everybody else – I have I've said for years that if you didn't like talking to the media, the best place to be is on LeBron's team. And it makes no sense to some people, but makes complete sense if you've ever been in there. Oh, yeah. I, I used to, I remember uh, I was doing something, I think it was last year, on kind of how teams prepare for the playoffs. And it was like three games before the end of the year. And uh, I was able to get a question on LeBron. He gave me a great answer about essentially how he had shut it off and he was coasting until the playoffs. It was a wonderful quote <laughs> for me. 
But and I was able to get Dwayne. But yeah, I I talked to Ray Allen for like five minutes because nobody wanted Ray. And like, this is a guy who's been on those teams, so it was great for me. I got to talk to him for men. Ray's a little. Uh, he can be a little abrasive at first, but he's actually a really good interview once you kind of get into it. And yeah, Bosch is just fantastic. And I, I loved, I loved going into those locker rooms. There's certain locker rooms that you know you can get guys because everybody else is focused. Like even the Warriors right now, if like Bogut's such a good interview that you can get Bogut, that he's such a good quote that there's usually not a lot of guys around him. Yeah, Draymond's the same way, but he's getting more attention now. Draymond, yeah, Draymond's getting a lot more attention now, but even, even at this point, I think you're, you're probably your big two are Draymond and Steph, so you can even get Clay, who's not a phenomenal interview, but <laughs> you can you can talk to him. You can you can talk to him if as long as he's there when the press gets in there. Right. Um, as long, yeah, he's I, I, he's he's quick. Yeah. Uh, as they say, he's he's swift with the showers and swift after shoot around. But yeah, I mean, you can get and, and even like honestly, one of the guys in the Warriors locker room that's a pre, like David Lee's a pretty good interview. Oh, absolutely. And, like, he's got an interesting perspective as a guy who doesn't play a ton, but is kind of, he's been around the block for a long time. And, and the other, um, the other one, though, he gets a lot of attention now. It's frustrating for me because I've covered him for so long is Stephen Curry is an amazing interview because what I, what I like about him, and it's very different from a lot of guys, is that he can transition from the really kind of basic question to a very deep question instantly. Some guys have trouble with that. So like, cause almost everything at this point, since I only get to ask him a question, you know, like every couple of games, because there's so many people around him, I try to go for kind of some of the, some of the, maybe not deeper, but some of the like more complicated thoughts, you know, like on how this whole process has been. Cause I, the first game I covered was, I think his first game at Oracle. So I've been there for all that. And so like before he won the MVP, it was, you know, talking about, how different this is and that kind of process. And he can go from a question of like, how good does it feel to make a three pointer to how, how is this in the context of all of the other stuff that you've been through with this franchise? And those are very different things to think about. Yeah. It's uh Corver's that guy for the Hawks. He's the guy that I'll walk up to a post game scrum and he'll be answering the question about, like you said, how it felt to make a three in the third quarter and I can go up and I can ask him about uh, a defensive change they made on how they, you know, I can ask him, you know, it looked like y'all made the change to how you were defending the pick and rolls. And he'll give me a solid 45 second answer about that. And then go back to answering something about, you know, three pointers from a radio guy. Like there are certain guys who can do that. There are certain guys who struggle with, with making that transition, if you get, you know, Al Horford is a guy who, as a one-on-one, is one of my favorite interviews. As a scrum guy, is is not because as a scrum guy, he just he gets in coach speak type stuff. You know, like he gets very well. We did this. We executed. We did this. Even when you ask him a real basketball question, but if you get him one-on-one, he'll actually give you stuff. Josh Smith was the same way. Always love talking to Josh Smith. If you ever get a chance to get a little one-on-one time. I highly suggest it. Well, you're saying that now. I mean, going into a series with them, so that'll. Very, he's a very smart basketball man. Oh, he is, and you, and Josh Smith. Actually, it'd be fun to talk with you about him. He's one of the, one of the guys who, I I feel like you see it. I see it more often maybe than some people do. Is just how intelligent of a basketball player he is on the court. It's just that for whatever reason, his shot selection is kind of lives apart from everything else. Yeah, I've said this for years, is that Josh is one of the smartest basketball guys I know, and I think eventually he can be a really successful coach 
as an assistant or whatever. I think Josh can be a great coach. But he's really good at breaking down everyone else and cannot look at himself objectively. Just can't do it. For whatever reason, his confidence is too high in himself or, or whatever it is, or he's just convinced that those are the shots he's supposed to take. I mean, he's told me before, he's like, look, if, if, I, if that's where you put me and I get the open shot, that's the shot that's supposed to be taken in the offense. Even though he knows he's not a great shooter. <laughs> like, seriously. He's that's like, this amazing. Is sh- this is, like, I, I used to, t- when I did, a, I did an interview with him one time, we talked for about 20 minutes about the differences when he when he made the switch to playing about 50-50 the last year Larry Drew was there. He played about 50-50 at the four and at the three. And so I talked to him. And I was like, what are the differences and for how you approach the game and, and kind of where you are on the floor? Because, like, I knew, but, like, people were killing him for the shot selection. I, I knew, and so it was kind of motivated by me. I wanted Josh to tell me. Like, you know, walk me through where you're being put on the floor, what you're being asked to do. Are you being asked to shoot these shots? And he says the offense, he says the coaches aren't, you know, he's like the coaches aren't telling me to shoot the shots, but the coaches are putting me in these positions, and in the offense, those are the shots that you're supposed to take. And it's it's wild. And so that's how I feel he is in Houston. He gets the open three. He knows that's one of their shots that they take. He's going to take the damn thing. And it's wild. And it's really funny because it's frustrating as hell because you talk to him about anybody else and he can give you a scouting report on anybody in the league tendencies, where you defend them, what you let them get. He can give you all that. Josh is freaking brilliant. He's a lead pass junkie too. That's my favorite thing about Josh. It's, it's funny how there are certain guys who really, really are. And there are certain guys who, who aren't particularly and, I, I've actually, it's funny to do this with somebody who covers the Hawks, but my favorite ever league pass story, I've never told this on the podcast, is from Chris Paul. And mm-hmm. uh, so the story is, went back when the Warriors were terrible, and they were, uh, so they were, they were, the Warriors were terrible, Chris Paul got a huge deal, this is back when he was on the Hornets, uh, mm-hmm. on Monte Ellis on a spin move on the last play of the game. And so somebody asked him, why, how, how did that happen? And he said, well, you know, when I'm a blatant, remember he's living in he's living in New Orleans at the time. He's I, I would watch the Warriors because I I, lo- I love watching them. And remember the Warriors at this time they were winning like 25 games a year. This wasn't right. a good. This wasn't this wasn't the even the early Steph Curry years. This was the pre Steph Curry years, right. I think. The, and, or the Monte era. The Monte era. The Monte AC Law maybe. And Ooh, and he said that's a, that's a Hawks Hawk deep cut right there. Yeah. And so, and so Chris said, well, I love watching Monte, and when he does that spin move, he always holds the ball in the dead center at this exact spot, so as soon as he started the move, I knew exactly where the ball was going to be, and I just put my hand there. And it's like, so basically, Chris Paul won his team a game because he watched terrible Warriors games. It's insane. It's, it's amazing the things they pick up on. I, I, early in, this is two years ago, two years, yeah, Josh's last year in Atlanta, they're playing the Kings. Mind you, the Kings are god awful at this point. Like not even like. But the, Josh, Josh was doing the same thing, talking about Demarcus Cousins. Like he was saying, Demarcus Cousins. This was two years ago. He was saying Demarcus Cousins is the toughest big man in the league. That's fairly incredible, like for him to say that. And he just kind of like broke down what Boogie does on the offensive end and why he's the. And it was it was great. There we go. Hey, we found him. We found the mean. Dramatic entrance. Never <laughs> leave your fans disappointed. 
Yeah, we 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 were just go, we went off on a on a tangent about um about how we we're talking about players that are good to talk to, but you actually have some probably have some insight in that as well. Uh, I do have players that are fun to talk to. Insight. Um, players that are easiest to talk to are guys who like used to be in the D League, um, and that's actually advice that Matt Moore's given me because they're like they're super eager to like talk because they just assume that guys like well everyone wants to talk to the stars because that's where all the the huddles are. Mm. Um, and all the scrums, but like they got, these guys are really friendly, really easy to talk to, down to earth, chock full of good information. Um, Garrett Temple actually is one of like, the friendliest guys to talk to on the Wizards. Like he's just, I mean, he'll get a scrum every once in a while when he's got a, when he had a big night and he was injured this season, so he wasn't and actually didn't cover much this season. But but last year I talked to him a couple times and he was just super friendly. He talked about how the D League helped him, talked about how he fits into the system, and you know, just guys like that I think are are kind of fun to talk to. And as the Wizards go, the Stars actually are are pretty friendly to talk to. I mean, they mumble a little bit, but otherwise, you know, can't really fault them for that. But they're approachable, which is weird. Like, they're not like a, they're not, like, it's not daunting. It's not, not intimidating. I mean, they're all much more athletic than I am and much taller than I am, which in itself is intimidating. But, um, <laughs> but in general, like, it's nice to be able to, like, feel like you're not out of place talking to them and they're usually very accommodating with all the types of questions they answer. Um, Beal in particular, Beal and Wall in particular are pretty friendly to talk to in that way. Yeah. yeah um, with the Hawks, it's Damar, Damari's the best person in the world to talk to. Cause like, he just loves to talk. He likes to hear himself talk. He talks about himself in the third person. It's wonderful. <laughs> Anybody that talks about themselves in the third person automatically jumps to, like the top of my list. I'd, I'd love it. Man, Plus, you need, <laughs> you need to cover Monte. Monte, Monte, okay, well. Monte doesn't usually do it, but every once in a while he does it, which makes it so much more fun. See, Damari doesn't say Damari. He talks about himself, he, he talks about the junkyard dog, which is even better. <laughs> so that's like a part of him? Yeah, it's like his persona. So it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like wrestling. Yeah, yeah, it's 100% like wrestling. Damari also owes me a pair of pants. So Damari, if you're listening, uh, don't think I've forgotten. You promised me a pair of uh, zebra print pants when your clothing line comes out. He was wearing them one day, and I was like, yeah, those are nice pants. He's like, I'll give you some when my when my line launches. I was like, okay. So what? Hold, when does his line launch? I don't know. He's like opening a store in Atlanta. I'm very excited. <laughs> that, this, is, this is what Hawks people do, man. Like, Zaza, <laughs> like, Hawks role players always have some weird business. Zaza had the Bible bar. Used to go, what? used to go get some free, free food at the bottle bar from Z. That's awesome. Good dude. Good dude. <laughs> yeah, he just put you on the list. It was great. <laughs> um, That's since since great. I have you both on the line again, uh, I feel like we should we might as well enjoy this time and and do uh, <laughs> predictions and do predictions because now that <laughs> so we'll start with we'll start with Amin. What? How do you? Who do you think wins and in how many games? Um, I think the Cavs win in six games because. There's a lot of, you know, bias in that, obviously. But I think the Cavs, like, have figured it out this, like, the last series. They, like, did a really – I mean, obviously, they did a really good job against the Bulls. But I think that they have a lot of – I think they can do really well. I mean, they have LeBron. I mean, nagging injuries aside, like, I think, you know, they'll do pretty well. The thing I'm most worried about is if the Hawks figure out their shooting again, mm-hmm. um, that'll be pretty bad for the Cavs, like I said earlier before um, I disappeared for half an hour. Um the uh, if the Haw- if the Cavs don't come out punching if they, they don't put up like a double digit lead like very early on 
then it's going to be really difficult for them to stay in the game because they're going to be worried about where those stops are coming from later, and they're not proven that they can really consistently get them down the stretch. So, and the Hawks are much better at like swarming and being very aggressive in, in down the stretch and making sure they can close those gaps. And their bench has proven that they're capable of doing it too. So it's like, it's a deep team that can, that can get the job done if they need to. So the Cavs need to be aggressive, but I think Cavs at this point are kind of riding high and I think can be aggressive. And I'm pretty pleased that Kyrie's going to play in game one. So I'm looking forward to a six game series. That was the most Cleveland answer ever, by the way. Hell it yeah, was, it was. It Hell was, yeah. It was marginally confident, but featured so much coverage of your ass to be like, but this is what could go wrong. <laughs> like, you spent 10 <laughs> seconds on the good stuff. You predicted the Cavs win, and then you spent 10 seconds on the good stuff and a strong minute, like, but this is where things could go horribly wrong, and they could get swept, which is the most Cleveland answer ever, and I love it. It's a Cleveland combined with D.C., because, I mean, let's, let's be real. I represent both of those markets, and the problem is that I've seen a lot of disaster in my day, so I know how to set expectations. Listen, the I'm a, I'm that a, they get the job done, and then there's yeah. a realistic counterpart. Look, look I, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan Oh yeah, through and through. My brother. And, uh, so I'm, I am, I'm well aware of the Clevelandness. So that was, that was beautiful. <laughs> I just think, I just want the people to know that that was as Cleveland an answer as you can get. Represent uh, the 216 all day. As, as for me, I also am picking the Cavs in six. Mm. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but your answer has to be the opposite of me and you have to say all the reasons the Cavs are going to win and then you only get 30 seconds of, or 20 seconds of covering your own butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So here's the thing. The Cavs have LeBron James, uh, which is number one, and the Hawks do not. Here's the thing. The Hawks, have not really, the Hawks have not particularly been playing well of late, and I don't think five days is necessarily going to snap them back in the form. Uh, they haven't been playing well for like two months. It's not like, oh, they kind of crapped the bed in the second round. No, they weren't playing well against Brooklyn. They weren't playing well against Washington. I think they will step their game up to a a point. I think they will get to a point where they're playing better. However, I do not think they will get to a point where they're playing so well that they can beat the Cavs in a series. Here's the thing. This game ends at home somewhere, which is why I say Cavs in six. Uh, If the Hawks can get to seven, then I think they can win a game seven at home. However, I think the Cavs win game one. Because I think Kyrie will be healthy mm-hmm. in that first game to be able to actually be Kyrie. He will have had six days off to rest and get all of the magic shots and rubs and whatever these training staffs do to get guys healthy. He could have flown uh, to Germany and back. Right. He, he really could have. So he's going to have Didn't TNT do that thing about LeBron getting like the nitrogen freeze spray yeah. on his body? Yeah, he's got yeah. he's got the the super cold tub that goes like negative 130 degrees and yeah. So they're going to have Kyrie right for that first game. Okay? I think the I think the first two games get split in Atlanta. I think the Cavs win mm-hmm. by like 10 in the first and then Atlanta wins by 15 in game 2 uh because you're sending the Cavs out on a Thursday night in Atlanta. Uh, the gold room will be popping. Uh, here's the thing. <laughs> you, the, the, it's Tuesday night. Tuesday night is the dead night in Atlanta. There's there's not much to do tonight. You can find it, but it takes some searching, and it's not like it's not popping. Monday nights, popping. Wednesdays, eh. 
Thursday is the night in Atlanta. It's over. Do you represent JR's the Atlanta Tourism Board? I don't. Do you- I just know that I know my city. Been here. <laughs> I was. I went to college in Atlanta. I know the nights. Mm. Okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> so I think Friday Cavs will be a little groggy. And um, but yeah, I just I look at the Cavs. I look at what they can do. They have Kyrie and LeBron guys that can just get buckets. And then I think Tristan scares me on the offensive glass. Mozgov has been great on the glass. I think they can dominate the boards in a way that, for whatever reason, Washington wasn't able to do with their size because Gortat's not really a phenomenal rebounder. Uh, Tristan Thompson's legitimately one of the best rebounders in the league, especially on the offensive end. Mozgov's a really solid rebounder. So I think you just, for me, I think what the Cavs can do is better than what the Hawks can do. However, the Hawks can go Nova for five games, and maybe they all regress to the mean at the same time and shoot <laughs> 60% for the series and win. Like, that's entirely possible, but I, I honestly think it takes something incredible from the Hawks, and I just don't see them having it in them, especially with, with Fabo out. You have to play Bays a lot, and the bench has kind of shrunk a little bit. And, you know, I just don't what? see it. I think it's a competitive six, very competitive six. I think one thing I'm worried about with the Hawks is, um, for, um, for their point of view, is Washington had a lot, a lot of missed layups in that series. Yes. And the Cavs don't miss as many layups because they are dunks. Um, <laughs> exactly. So no, yeah, if, if Cleveland can get the same kind of basket penetration or similar basket penetration that Washington was getting, they'll be able to make on those. And that'll be dangerous for Atlanta. And their point guard doesn't have a broken hand. Or five, a, a, a quintuple, quintuple fracture. broken hand, quintuple yeah. fracture. Yeah, quintuple fracture. fracture. Yeah, it, that that usually helps. Typically. Yeah. Uh, uh, one one other thing I wanted to quickly go with you guys is how how do you guys see it in terms of the Eastern winner, whoever it is, in the NBA Finals? Honestly, I, it depends on who's there. That's true. But go ahead, I mean. Go ahead. Well, I, I think I've said this before. Uh, Robbie and I talked about this on Twitter the other day. I think like having a Cavs. Warriors finals will be actually kind of fun. I don't, I think the Warriors will probably, I mean, I think the Cavs will play well, but I think the Warriors will probably win. Um, I don't think I'd have that much fun watching a Cavs Rockets finals, but um, they had a pretty good series. I mean, they, I think they were one all this year. I think I mean, it was, they were both like uh, ABC Sunday games. I think they were pretty fun. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of, you know, the same kind of stuff that people don't like about watching the Rockets, the free throws and stuff. Um, I think um, if the Hawks play like the Hawks of old, I think the Hawks uh, Warriors series would be really fun. But I think one of the games during the regular season, it was like a 40 point blowout or something. Is that right? Yeah. Things really didn't go one? well. Things didn't go yeah. well. Although the, Haw- <laughs> the Hawks were, the Hawks were resting some folks, but yeah, things didn't go well in that game. Mm. Um, but they had that one game in Atlanta that the Haw- might have been one of the Hawks' best games of the year when the Hawks. It was, and it. and it was without Sabo. Yeah. Um, mm. So they have the confidence they can do that. Like they won by like I think it was they won by nine. That was a great game. That was the best live game I've ever been. That might have so been the fun, most yeah. well played game, regular season game I can remember in the last like five or so years because both yeah. teams played really well. I mean the Hawks just on both sides of the ball. Like the Hawks shot like fifty seven percent from three. It was incredible. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is we keep expecting the Hawks to get back to being the January, February, early March Hawks. And I'm concerned 
that that team doesn't exist. Mm. I think it's a devolved form of that team. They try to do some of the same. But I think season-long fatigue has set in a little bit. The movement's not as crisp. It's not getting so much. And in the playoffs, I think it's one of those things where in the regular season, when you play a team that is that energized, and I think this is – this, and it's not just that they move, but they just play with so much – Energy and stuff, it's, I think it's the same reason the, the Bulls are such a good regular season team is they're always up. Yeah. But the Bulls have never had a playoff gear. The Bulls will beat you on effort in the regular season because you might be playing on the third and four nights or something like that. Everybody's up in the playoffs, and that's what concerns me about the Hawks is there's not a playoff. I don't know if there's a playoff gear. And, like, it's, it sounds weird to say, but, like, it's something that you have to have. It's something LeBron has. He has that playoff gear that he gets to. And my concern is that the Hawks operated at their best in February, and now they've actually slipped down a little bit, and I don't know if they can get back to that gear or if that gear is even really good enough in a seven-game series against the best two or three or four teams in the league. What's crazy about the Warriors in that sense is they're they're definitely closer to their, their peak than the Hawks are, but... I still haven't seen them hit their hit that even their top gear from the regular season yet. Right. A- except for Which maybe is, that first five minutes against the Grizzlies in Game Six when they were up twenty five to like ten. Like other yeah. than other than that, I mean, I, I don't think that they've done it, and that's kind of crazy considering they've they've beaten two quality teams in a combined ten games. Right. Which is, I think, of all the knocks that you have on teams like the Hawks and the Warriors or whatever, although the Warriors clearly have a star. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the difference is if you play on with the Hawks and you're playing on that team level, the team has to be able to step up together. You know, there's nobody that's going to drag you up. Right. Whereas the Cavs, LeBron can be like, no guys, come on. We're go-. like, he. it's not that he puts the team on his back necessarily, which he, he can do. But I think he just he forces everybody to play at a higher level. Yeah, it's a little like Hawk, it's infectious, almost like he like he did. Yeah, it's he when he kicks up like the you know when he has a like the last like four or five years or whatever. LeBron has always like seen there's one game in each series where he has to like go Nova because of, for some reason, and then yeah. in that same game it's like he's carrying the load obviously because he's going crazy. But like in that game and in the next game like. You see other players, like multiple players, doing well because of that kind of like, like I mean, it's so weird to like talk about it like this, but it's like this mental example that he's set mm-hmm. of being like, I can take it up a notch. You guys can take it up a notch too. Like you already think I'm the best. I'm going to carry this or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I think Curry has shown that he can do that. And I think, but you're right. right. Like the Hawks and the Warriors both have like they're very they're more system oriented, and the Warriors have Curry to be able to the guy that slightly can be, above. And here's right. my thing that I think, and this is a. Th- thing that I think is a problem with basketball Twitter or whatever it is. I think everybody's so afraid of hot takes and these sort of things that I think they forget that there is a lot to, you know, you want to be able to point to stats and you want to be able to point to these things. They're very important, but there is something there. There's a lot to the mental side of the game that I think oftentimes gets left out. There's a lot to having chemistry in the locker room. There's a lot to, um, having chemistry on the floor, and there's a lot to having that guy that can be like, guys, come on. Like, even with the Hawks, like, it's it's not necessarily they need a guy who can be like, I'm going to go get some buckets. 
They need a guy who can be like, we need to run our shit. Right. And that's my part. Jeff T can't do that. He just, he's not that guy. Right. And the Grizzlies have Tony, Tony Allen. It's completely different. Right. It's like a completely different way to do it. But like when Allen's missing, you can tell that like same kind of ferocity and intensity is missing from the team that they can't take it up a notch. And, and the other, the way that I phrased it with LeBron is I think LeBron might, you can make an argument he's the best complimentary dominant player of all time because what he does as being such a ridiculous size and passer for what he is, is that when he's doing really well, he's still willing to pass the ball to other guys. And so when right. you build a, a LeBron team, you want to do it with guys who can hit open shots because that's he can generate them and he's willing to hit those guys. You know, yep. like Kobe. Kobe's a wonderful player. He's had a great career. But when Kobe's in that mode, the sh- the shot is going to Kobe, and yep. so you you don't get you don't engage your teammates in that same way. Maybe they will be on defense because they, you know they're sitting there and they're like, we have to win this game. But when LeBron's doing that, you if you're James Jones, you're sitting there going. Well, any time down, if I move, you know, if I make sure that I get open, I might get the most open three that I've had all game, and that right. works. Yeah, and, and I think you. And I think go that. Ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna I just say real quick. I think that points to like how Ferry built the during the first LeBron era, how Ferry built that system around him. I think you're right. And I think people shortchanged the Cavs for that a lot because they didn't win a championship the first time LeBron was there, like. The team was built around him for precisely those reasons. Like, obviously, when he left, like, they couldn't keep it together because the pieces didn't work. But, like, when you have a guy who has that much court vision, who can penetrate like that, who can pass like that, who can score, as do as many things that he can do, and is willing to, like, not be the guy that takes the last shot because he knows that an open shot from the corner with James Jones is better than him being mauled by four guys in the lane. He, You can trust him to make those decisions, and that's why they built that first roster on him. And... Here in the, this like this current team has the same kind of guys, but they could also like couple of them can also be relied on to like pitch in a little extra in terms of like like there's longer defenders. Kyrie can create his own shot, and you have you know requires a lot of attention from defenses as well. And I think it gives the Cats a little more to work with. Yeah. It- so I, and that's that's my thing with the Hawks is just I just don't know who who tell like. Horford's not a rah-rah guy, uh, and it's not necessarily you need somebody who's just a rah-rah guy, but it's like there's got to be somebody who's like, guys, we were a 60-win team. You know, we are this good. We got to run our stuff. And, like, they'll say they're trusting the process and they're just playing their game. They're trying to get their shots. But at some point, somebody has to be like, no, we've got to do more. Like we like, I think there's a little complacency with them that like, well, this is the system, this is what we get. Right. But when you look at it and you and you watch the film, they're not getting the same looks. And somebody's got to be like, guys, we gotta we gotta run harder, we gotta push harder. And and I just don't see them having that guy right now. And and that's part of part of the reason is I don't that I don't think they get to that next gear that they need to. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe they do it, but. No. It's got, think, somebody's got to do it. I think you're right. And I think like, I mean, I think the Wizards had Paul Pierce for that. And I think it's the first yep. time they've really had someone like that in a long time that I can think of. Even like when it was like the Gilmer Arenas days, like he would like step it up, but like it was a totally different animal. Um, but you need your, you I mean, need that, your irrationally confident person. You need right. somebody who's just like, no, we're, this is it. We're going to win this. Like we can well, do I mean, this. And like Paul, Paul Pierce is the ultimate guy for that. Like, right. And that's He's why like, no, basketball is not a video game. 
It, like, like basketball is not a video game. Like, otherwise, you could simulate all this stuff, and you'd get the best team with, with the best combination of players and the best plays would win it. But like, you have human beings who make irrational decisions at times, <laughs> who have irrational personalities who can make this stuff work, or you can they can make this stuff not work, and you have to have that sort of like non-programmable <laughs> human element mm-hmm. that can figure this out. Otherwise, it's, it would be the Hawks and the Warriors in the finals, and then you would account for injuries and whatever. But they're they're not the. It's not going to necessarily be that combination because you have to have like the gears, the mental gears taken into account, and there's not really a way to quantify that other than to really really hope for it, <laughs> which is yeah. quantifiable. Yep. Oh, well, I think I think we've hit on everything. Is there anything else you guys want to share with listeners? No, man. This should be fun. I'm excited. It's going to be you know, this is as, this is as much fun as we've had with Atlanta basketball in a long time, and. Uh, you know, it's going to be a, an interesting off season, but uh, for now, I think Hogs fans anyway just enjoy it. You know, whether it's four, five, six, seven more games, or they get it to the to the finals, just enjoy this for now, and we'll worry about the future later. <laughs> um, I I agree with Robbie. It's going to be super fun. And man, when I mean when LeBron came back, I was already I was convinced that this team just we this is. This is going to be a long-haul thing. Like, I didn't even expect them to get this far this season, and I'm, like, super pleased with what's happened, and it's a lot of fun, and it's really dangerous to hope for more. But, I, you know, it's, it's this is going to be a good series. Like, no matter – it's a really awesome system versus a really iconic player and an okay system, you know, a secondary, also a good player. <laughs> like, and, and also, with these two teams making it, I think a lot of people expect that this could be the conference finals next year, too. So you you might be setting the table for, a, like, a rivalry. Oh, sweet. I didn't even think of that. I would enjoy that. <laughs> I, yeah. no, neither did I. Like, I didn't even think about the future. I love rivalries. Rivalries <laughs> are best. fun. Yeah. Unless, yeah, we go fun. To, unless we go to a top 16 and ruin that. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, well, everyone in there... Anti-geography stance. Yes. <laughs> hey, hey, respect the maps. Respect maps, guys. Do, hey, um, you, hey, you have to pledge map allegiance. <laughs> I did pledge map, map allegiance. I don't remember when, but I did the other day. Pledge map uh, allegiance. That's what I'm ending on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank absolutely. you. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Amin Vafa and Robbie Callen for taking the time. You can read Amin at Hardwood Paroxysm Basketball Network, Hardwood Paroxysm, and the Bullets Forever blog, which is in SB Nation's Washington Wizards blog. You can read Robbie at FanBuzz and Hardwood Paroxysm, and you can follow Amin on Twitter at AminNBA, A-M-I-N-N-B-A, and Robbie Calland at R-Calland, R-K-A-L-L-A-N-D, and those links will also be on the page on Real GM. Thanks to both of them for coming on. It was a lot of fun to, to talk with them, and I like that we got to you know go in a couple different directions. I didn't put my own predictions in there. They are on the Dunked On podcast, which I strongly encourage you to listen to. But I'm thinking Warriors in 5 and Cavs in 6, which actually puts me in line for the Cavs series with both of them. I think that the Warriors have more talent, and I think that it's hard to conceive of a way that the Rockets really win the series, though I absolutely think it could go longer. And... The Hawks series, Hawks-Cavs, is more of a coin flip, but I feel like what the Cavs do well is going to be hard for the Hawks to stop in that sense, and I think offensive rebounding could play a major factor. For those of you who listen to this, I strongly also encourage you to listen to the Dunked On podcast. 
it's Nate Duncan's. I've been on it fairly frequently, and it's I, I'm thrilled with how it's gone. That's a daily basketball podcast. And if you like this one or either, you please subscribe on iTunes. That helps us. And also, post a review. That's something that I don't really push too much on this show, but I found with that that it really does help. If you have any insight, comments, criticism, you can hit me up on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or you can email daniel.larue at realgm.com. As I always promise, I read everything. I do not respond to everything, but I do read it, and it does factor into making the show better. If you have any guest suggestions or anything like that, and also if you have guest suggestions, let the guests know that you think they should be on. And we've we've had great luck with it, and I will continue to do it. And this is a podcast that continues through the summer because I'm a CBA cap nerd, and I, I love that stuff. The off season is, is huge for me, and I'm hoping to do some stuff with summer league as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt.